So today we're going to talk about one of the major differences uh, between uh, men, people, not men only, mankind, um, and, and God and Christ. And there's a ton of things that make us not divine, right? There's a lot of things that we struggle with that, that God doesn't struggle with, and there's a lot of powers that God has that we don't possess. But today I want to talk about one of the major problems that, that, that we have as people, um, and that problem is, is we have this kind of pride and arrogance. If I was to list off um, sins that, that I struggle with, in fact, I do from time to time up here list off sins that I struggle with, pride will almost always be on the list. Um, I struggle um, with, with an, ex, an inflated sense of self. Uh, I am not lacking for self-confidence uh, in almost any area, even when I should be lacking in self-confidence, right? Even whenever I shouldn't feel like I have it all together, I just feel this overwhelming sense of, yeah, no, I can handle that. Uh, that's not a problem. I can do that. Um, and pride is a dangerous, uh, dangerous thing. You know, I'm a fan of the, the TCU Horn Frogs. That's my college uh, of choice. No offense to the Baylor and UT and A&M heathens out here, okay? I cheer for uh, I cheer for a school that puts Christian in the name, though not necessarily in the university itself. Um, but uh, but <laughs> but uh, but I'm a, I'm a TCU fan. My dad went to TCU. I went to Houston Baptist, but we didn't have a football team when I when I was uh, in school. We do now, um, and so I've just kind of my loyalty has always been to TCU. Uh, and this week, TCU played the Purdue Boilermakers, and Purdue's a mediocre team in the Big Ten. Um, and some of you are like, I don't, I don't know what this means. They're just they're they're an okay team. Um, but they have one player who's really, really good. Um, he's a wide receiver, and he is just, uh, he's exceptional, uh, apparently. I don't know. Um, but he's an exceptional player. And after Purdue dominated whoever they played last week, um, one of their players said, I feel bad for TCU having to play against us next week. I feel bad they're going to have to play against us because there's no way they can stop this guy, this, this Rondell something. I don't even know his last name. But... But they can't stop this guy. And uh, so TCU rolls up into the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And uh, 34 to 13 later, uh, they, they go home uh, a dominant victor uh, over this. And that guy who's the best player on their team had three catches for like 22 yards, okay? So, so sometimes pride gets us in trouble, right? We, we, put our, we put our mouth out there. We say something. We say it with such confidence and enthusiasm. And on the other end of it, we're like, oh, I can't, I can't back that up. Right, and we get shown up, and when that happens, right, that's a humiliating experience. Most of us have experienced that in one way or another. One of my favorite stories is I was a youth pastor. It was my first church I was a youth pastor at. I was in uh, Blanchard Baptist Church in Livingston, Texas. And youth ministry, uh, whenever I started in youth ministry, uh, consisted of playing video games with kids. And I'm not sure if that's still true today um, or not, but but that was a part of my youth ministry uh, program. And there was this kid. His name was Dustin. Uh, and man, that kid thought he could win at any game he ever played. And so, like, I'm not good at a lot of games that are popular. Uh, like, the games where you walk around and you're shooting people, the Fortnites and the Call of Duties, I can't play those games. Uh, I, I started playing Goldeneye, uh, which was the game that started this whole shoot people um, craze on consoles, uh, way after other people started playing it, because I didn't have an N64. And I was always terrible at it. Like, I was getting shot, and I couldn't see who was shooting at me, and I'm turning around, all crazy stuff. But you get me in, like, a, a sports game, like a Madden game or a basketball game, like 2K, like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not the best player on earth, but I'm good enough. And this kid was going to play me at Madden. He's like, oh, I'm going to dominate you. It's going to be 70 to nothing at halftime. 
And then we get down and we start playing, and like, I don't know how good this kid's going to be, and he was literally the worst player I'd ever played against. <laughs> like, I, it didn't matter what I did to try to help him stay in the game, I couldn't do it, right? And so I, I destroyed the kid, and I didn't feel bad about it, because he was bragging. <laughs> But, like, look, I mean, I just, I just destroyed the kid. And as I was destroying him, I kept reminding him. I'm like, you know, I thought, I thought you were really good at this. I, you know, like, and I'm, I'm a 23-year-old youth pastor, right? Like, I'm doing the best I can to show this kid Jesus. And, uh, and, and <laughs> right, and I'm just consistently, you know, dominating about this because his, his mouth talked this huge game. And then when we got down to whatever the little thing was, I was like, you're terrible at this. Guys, we've got to be careful about what we say, right? Because people listen to what we say. They hear what we say, uh, and, they, and, they, and if you say something that seems like pretty braggy, right, they're going to make note of it, right? They're going to put that down somewhere like, oh, this person thinks they're the best at this, or they're, they're the greatest at this, or they have no issues with this. And, and that's a dangerous place to be. We're going to talk about how our mouths set us up for failure sometimes. Read with me. We're in the book of Mark. We've been working through the book of Mark um, since January. Um, we're in Mark chapter 14 um, now, and we're, we're uh, going to start in verse 26. So Mark 14, 26. Jesus is in the last week of his life. Um, he's actually just had the last supper with his disciples. So um, he's just shared the last meal with his disciples, and now he's giving some instruction um, immediately afterwards. And here we go, picking up Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 26. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to them, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the rest of them said the same thing. Now, this is an interesting story, right? Because Peter is standing up uh, to Jesus. Now, here's the deal. If Jesus says something is going to happen, right? You probably don't need to argue with him, right? That's a dangerous, you don't win against the Son of God. You don't win those arguments. But Peter heard Jesus say, look guys, all of you guys are just going to scatter. You're going to be gone. In just a minute, they're going to strike me and there's going to be a scattering and you people will be nowhere to be found. And Peter's like, that's not going to happen to me. Right? These other 11 jokers here or 10 jokers because Judas is somewhere. I don't know where he is right now. He's betraying Jesus. But, but like these other ten jokers who are with us, maybe they're all going to scatter. You know, I've always thought that Bartholomew guy was a little shifty. He may not really be in to go the whole way. But me, Peter, the rock, I'll be here for you, Jesus. They're going to have to kill me to separate me from you. Right? No matter what happens, no matter where things go, I will be there. And Peter has this confidence in himself. Right, and this confidence in ourselves, like we should have some self-confidence, but Peter has misplaced confidence in himself. He believes that no matter what happens, no matter what the situation is, he will never leave Jesus. Guys, and I want you to know in our lives today, this misplaced confidence that we have in our lives leads us to all sorts of trouble. We have this sense of bravado, this like, man, we've got this under control, but that bravado sets us up for a larger failure than anything else, right? All those other disciples, you know, the Andrews and the Phillips and the Thomases, 
right? Those guys, um, Jesus says it's going to happen to them too, but because they're smart enough not to open their mouths, right, they don't experience the same degree of shame that Peter's going to experience in just a few verses, right? right? Jesus says, look, Peter, not only are you going to scatter and leave me like these other jokers here, but, but it's going to happen immediately. Like tonight before the rooster wakes up and wakes up the people, right, you're already going to be denying me to other people. And Peter's like, no, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Guys, bravado is a dangerous thing. We need to be careful when we find ourselves speaking that we speak truthfully. We speak truthfully about things that we have control over if we say we're going to control them because people will measure you based on what you say you'll do. Right? Under promise, over deliver. That's a pretty good life motto for all of us to say what it is that we're going to do and do what it is we say that we're going to do. But Peter has this grand claim that he's no matter what happens, He's going to do this. And guys, this idea of no matter what happens is a dangerous thing. I've been in ministry now since I was, well, geez, 18, 19 years old. So almost 20 years or just a little over 20 years I've been in ministry. And while I've been in ministry, I have watched people that I admire in ministry who speak confidently about the cause of Christ, who have a a great self-confidence in themselves, absolutely fail. I've had ministry uh, leaders, mentors, friends of mine who've, who, who, who've cheated on their wives and left them to go shack up and marry the woman that they cheated on them with. I have ministry friends of mine who have left the ministry and have nothing to do with it in any capacity. I have a, a, a ministry friend of mine who committed suicide as the pastor of his church. Right? right I've experienced great loss in all of these men, all of these, and they're good men. Right? They're good men. But you know what? They, they didn't guard themselves against the, the, the dangers of pride. And, they, and when you think that such and such can't happen to you, it's just waiting around the bend for you. So if you're here today and you're just a regular like person, right, just understand, like you say, man, I would never cheat on my wife. And you are this close to that. Right? It, it, you're this close to that. If you say, man, no matter what happens, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be... Um, the, the, the best employee at my company, that I'm never going to leave this company because I've given my life and my heart and my soul to this, this organization. There's nothing that would ever take me away from it. Guys, you're this close to having a falling out from that corporation. Guys, our pride is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Peter doesn't understand it, but Jesus points it out. He says, you think you've got this under control, but you're going to be utterly and completely humiliated. Guys, guard yourselves from false bravado. It will save you a lot of trouble on the back end. Continuing on to verse 32, it says, and then they went up to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one Our watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came back and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy 
and they didn't know what to answer him. And he came to them the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it, uh, it is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So, so Jesus goes and takes these disciples, Peter included, up, in, up, up to Gethsemane. It's a garden area. And Jesus is going to have uh, the most personal human prayer you ever see Jesus pray. Right, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, uh, which is 100% problematic for us who are 100% people, right? Um, but Jesus is, is God in the flesh. He experiences all the same problems that mankind experiences as far as temptations and uh, human weakness and, and frailty. Um, everything we experience except for sin, Jesus experienced on this side of eternity. And so Jesus is, is going there and he recognizes like tonight is the night that things are about to go real tough. And so he takes his three closest disciples further into the garden with him, and he says, you guys right here, stay and hold watch over me, because I am at my breaking point. Like, I'm sorrowful to the point of death, right? Jesus is going to his his, his closest friends and saying, guys, I need your help. I need you to support me, because right now, I'm at the end of my rope. Guys, we all get there, right? At time time, we get to the end of our rope, and it's nice to have people that we can rely on. Jesus chooses his three closest disciples, the same men who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the guys who are, who are uh, most influential in the starting of the early church. And he says, guys, come with me. Jesus goes off to pray the human prayer, right? Lord, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Like, don't make me go to the cross. Don't make me suffer this death. But you know what, Lord? If this is the only way, I submit to your will. Jesus prays this prayer of submission uh, while, while wishing not to experience the pain that's going to come. And then he goes back, and those three disciples that he asked to watch are passed out asleep. He wakes them up, and he scolds them, and he goes back and comes back a little bit later, same thing, scolds them. Guys, what's your problem? Goes back, comes back a third time, still falling asleep. They can't stay awake. They can't avoid the temptation. Guys, the, the idea is uh, there, there's something here where Jesus was needing his disciples' support, and they failed him. And one of the reasons they failed Jesus is they, they didn't guard themselves from temptation that was around them. All right, physical exhaustion is a real thing. The disciples have been traveling, right? They, if we've watched them, they've walked a long way. It's been a pretty uh, emotional time in their lives, but they're wore out. And Jesus is asking them to go above and beyond, and they, they, they didn't protect themselves. And so when temptation came and sleep uh, was crouching at the door, they said, you know what, that is more important than offering Jesus the spiritual support that we need to offer him. Uh, I was talking about this a couple weeks ago with my preaching people, and, and Zach Rowland brought up, you know, there's a comparison here to Job, right? And Job, um, Job has these three friends who show up, and uh, Job has just lost everything he ever cared about, lost except for his wife, and maybe later he'd, he'd wish that was gone. But um, he, he lost his, his kids, he lost his house, he lost his, his crops, like everything was taken away. His body was covered in, in painful sores. He was experiencing his worst life ever. And these three guys come up to him, and the, and the three guys struggle a little bit as you move into the book of Job. But for seven days, his best friends sit beside him and don't say a word. They just sit with him and provide him spiritual support while not saying a single word. 
right? And that's what Jesus needed from his three closest disciples to come and to sit with him in his agony and to walk with him through that. But because he didn't guard, because they didn't guard themselves, they weren't prepared to do that. Peter, who had all this false bravado that he would take care of things and there would be nothing to separate from him from Jesus Christ. As soon as he gets tired, he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't need to really worry about this. Jesus has got that. As there are times when people need our support spiritually. You know, I get asked to pray for people on a regular basis. That's not shocking, I'm sure, um, because I'm a pastor. But, you know, one of the things that is, is always something I try to remember to do is to pray for whoever it is right then. Right? Because if I don't do it right then, there's a good chance that I'm going to end up having one of my 22 kids do something silly, and I'm going to get sidetracked by that, right? And, I, and then all the other stuff that's going on in my world, and I may forget what it is that I was asked to spiritually support. Guys, we've got to guard ourselves against temptation when people come to us for spiritual support. You, one another, should be offering spiritual support to each other. That's one of the reasons we have Sunday school classes before service. It's an opportunity for you to be in a faith community, a group of people who care about each other, and you can know each other's lives and pray for each other. That's one of the things I love about small groups. I got my small group meets on Sunday nights. One of the things I love about it is I have people who know what's going on in my life. Or they know the details of what's, what's going on with, um, with my children, uh, with, with my relationships. That They know the details of it, and they can pray for me. Spiritual support is an important part of the church experience. If you're just coming on Sunday morning to a Sunday morning worship service, you are missing out on a lot of what God has for you, right? Because you're not allowing yourself to be in a relationship like that. So I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Sunday school class, find a Sunday school class. If you don't have a small group, Find a small group, but find a group of people who care about you spiritually and who will invest in you in that way. You will be better for it, and they will be too. We're a family that way. But Jesus didn't have that. He was all alone, and the people he needed to support him didn't do it because they didn't guard themselves. Instead, they thought they had it under control, and they fell quickly. Continuing on to verse 43 says, and immediately after Jesus says, my betrayer is at hand, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him was a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him and at once he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him, that's Jesus, and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. Um, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I'm going to deal with the naked guy right now because it's a weird little side note. Um, this is uh, thought to be the only autobiographical part in the book of Mark. Mark is a silent person. We don't know much about Mark, um, the writer of the book of Mark. But this guy who uh, followed Jesus from the garden and got caught and ran away naked uh, is thought to be him. Like, like that he was there and he was the last person to follow Jesus. All of the rest scattered. You notice that? Right? Just like Jesus predicted that Peter would do, and James would do, and Bartholomew would do, and Andrew would do. He said, they're going to strike the shepherd, and all of you are going to flee. Judas comes up, 
kisses Jesus, they seize him, there's a little bit of a scuffle, some guy's ear gets cut off, and then right after that, they all run. Right? Peter runs away, John runs away, James runs away, the people who shouldn't have fled, the people who should, should have stood beside their master, they ran and tucked tail. Because you know what? Your true colors show, your true colors show in the midst of crisis. Who you are shows out under a crisis situation. Right? I don't always like what I see in myself when, when stress level gets high around me. Right? All of a sudden I realize, like, man, like that person who can keep it together suddenly becomes the guy who's screaming at people for reasons that, that, that don't make a whole lot of sense. Right? Right? In crisis, your true colors show out. And the true colors of the disciples was that none of them were willing to die with Jesus. Not one of them were willing to be captured and identified with Jesus. Right? They lived their lives with him for three years. They did miracles on his behalf. They witnessed his teaching and his power. They saw uh, his divinity firsthand. But when it came down to it, when everything was thrown down, not one of them, not one of them was willing to suffer alongside of him. Guys, they weren't ready. In that moment, that, that crucible of fire where they were tested in, they came out and, and they did not look like followers of Christ. There's a, there's a passage in the book of Job. Uh, I get asked uh, from time to time, what's my favorite verse in the Bible? Um, and so you have to come up with one. Um, I don't know why. Um, but, but So my answer to that is Job 23.10. That's my, uh, that's my favorite verse in the Bible. But the gist of Job 23.10 is Job is speaking. And he says, look, when the Lord has tested me, when I've gone through the fire, I'm going to come forth as pure gold. Right? I'm going to come forth, and there's not going to be an impurity found in me. Right? After all of the roughness of this life, like when, 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 when life is chaotic, when my marriage is in trouble, uh, when my job isn't fulfilling, when, 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 you know, when my health is bad, when all of those things are done, at the end of that, I'm going to come forth as something valuable and usable to the Lord. That's what I hope is true of me. But you know what? Sometimes I see myself in the midst of the fire, and I'm not there yet, guys. Right? I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress. The disciples weren't there yet. They're going to get there, guys. Right? There's a reason we have churches today, and it's because these 11 guys who ran off like cowards, they regrouped themselves after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they set the world on fire for the name of Jesus Christ. But in this moment, they weren't ready for that. Guys, we've got to be careful about what we say, how we express ourselves as if we've got our lives all together, because you know what? Most of us don't have our lives all together yet. Some of you are substantially older than I am, and you probably, in your honest moments, would say, I don't have my life fully together yet. Right? As we walk with Jesus, we get closer, hopefully, we get closer to being more like Christ. That's the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, becoming more holy. But none of us are there yet, so we need to be careful about putting our confidence in ourselves. Peter had self-confidence. He said, no matter what happens, I'm going to take care of this. No matter what comes, I'm going to be, I'll have this thing under control. Don't worry about me, Jesus. And all it took was a small little army mob to send him running like a coward into the woods. 
And some of us are far behind Peter in our spiritual maturity right now. Far behind him. And so we just need to recognize that. We need to come to people with humility. You know, one of the best things that church should be is a place where broken people can come and find out that there's other broken people like them who are striving to be like Jesus Christ. I use the word striving a lot to talk about this church because, you know, we don't have it all figured out yet, but we want to be like Jesus. We're striving in that direction. Guys, I, I don't claim that, that, that we're, the, we're, the, we're the best church in, in, in the world. I don't claim that we have the best pastor in the world. In fact, I would say, categorically, you don't have the best pastor in the world. But what I will claim is, is that as a group of people, we're moderately humble about who we are. We recognize that we're broken. And we invite other broken people to join us on the journey of being more like Jesus Christ. And that should give you hope today if you're out there and you're thinking, man, I'm just kind of, I don't have it all together yet. It's okay. It's okay not to be okay right now. We don't want to stay that way forever. We don't want to be that way forever. But it's okay today to not have it all together. Because this preacher up here doesn't have it all together. The men I work with as deacons in this church, by and large, don't have it all together. Good men. I love them. Honestly, I don't give my deacons enough praise. I love the men who serve this church in that role. Humble men who serve in that position. But guys, it, they recognize, like, we're, we're fallible, we're broken. Don't set ourselves up as the heroes of the faith, because you know what? We're just travelers down this journey following after our hero, which is Jesus. Because you know where Peter failed, and John failed, and James failed? Jesus kept going. He didn't fail. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week, about how Jesus doesn't fail where mankind does fail. But that's an important thing for us to recognize. No matter what goes on around us, no matter how much your, your, your neighbor fails you, your Christian friend fails you, God hasn't failed you yet. And he's not going to fail you. It's not going to happen. So uh, there's a couple things that we can take from this, guys. First thing is this. If, if, if you're not a part of, of a church community, I'd encourage you. Get involved inside of church communities, whether that's inside of a, 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 a church to say, man, this will be our church. Find a church that is a similar, at least in goal, of striving to be like Jesus Christ. We'd love to have part of our church. You don't have to be a part of this church. There's other churches in Rockdale that are striving to be like Jesus. Find a church that's striving to be like Jesus Christ and get involved with it. And when you get involved with it, plug into that church because you need spiritual support beyond the 30 minutes that the guy gets up and talks. Right? Make it part of your life. Make it part of your routine, say, Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whenever it is that service is. I'm going to be there because it's important for me because I've got to have support. So maybe that's some of you out here today. Some of you may already be in the church. You may already have a, a you may be involved in Sunday school and small groups and you may be fully invested in that stuff. And all I want to tell to you guys today is this. Beware of pride that sets us up for falls and we trip over things that we never saw coming because our eyes were set too high. I, I read the stories of preachers who fall and, and I read them with sorrow in my heart and then secondarily I read them as a caution to me to know like that guy who did that thing 
isn't, isn't some terrible person and I'm so good. He's a person like me, put himself in a position, and his whole life fell apart. And I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want that to be said of me at the end of my time. Whenever I pass away, I want there to be a legacy of faithfulness that only happens by guarding yourself against pride. Be careful, guys. It's, the, it's a dangerous sin. C.S. Lewis says it is the most dangerous sin. It's the primary sin of mankind is pride. It undergirds everything wrong with us. So shake that off and look at the one who walked humbly through this world and model your life after him.